And I shoot my shot, it's the wild way it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand, all like, woo! Bitch, you want with me shooting in the gym? Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range, on me nigga way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine search. And you can live through anything if magic made it. What up, my fellow Nick fans? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. Don't panic quite yet. Now, beloved Knicks are struggling to keep their heads above water and maintain at least a 500 level record right now. But we'll take a step back and look at the overall landscape of the conference. As it shows, there's no reason to hit the panic button quite yet. And I'll also touch base on a few of the lineup changes as we see Mitchell Robinson now is coming off the bench. And also the poor play of Kimball Walker combined with Evan Fonier at times is having a trickle down effect on RJ Barrett and Julius Randle. And focusing on our two main stars starting with rj barrett even through the early season struggles the measuring stick for him is very high especially compared to his peers at his age range and his draft status and with such a high expectation i also touch base on how rj focusing on the mid-range game could help not only him but free up space for his teammates to get open looks as most teams today in the nba are not set up defensively to focus on the mid-range and with the mid-range game opening up we could finally start to see Randall have more spacing to continue doing his thing and building on from what he did from last season and speaking of Julius what the hell is going on with Randall right now his body language during these press conferences is not good at all so I'll touch base on some of the roster construction that's not really helping his game especially with the spacing on the floor and with December 15th vastly approaching, newly signed free agents will be eligible to be traded. So I'll touch base on the NBA trade landscape as a lot of teams right now are building the value of certain guys almost like a magic trick in order to gain the most in the trade market for some of these players, aka Miles Turner. And finally, the media and the NBA players always misinterpret how it is to play at Barclays Center or Master Square Garden just overall when they come to New York. They mistake the New York fans for their love and appreciation of good basketball as being fans of the teams. We've seen this play out plenty of times in Madison Square Garden. Also recently, we've seen it play out at Barclays Center when the Nets played Golden State. The players and media members on the opposing sides always tend to misjudge the fans' appreciation of good quality basketball as cheers. And it stems from a place of not understanding, especially as outsiders, of how much New York City loves basketball. But we'll dive deeper into this as we'll see what a former NBA player had to say about playing in New York City and his interpretation of how the fans react to the opposing side. Now with the Kimber Walker benching, a lot of things are coming into the light, especially after that Milwaukee Bucks game. But first I'm gonna start off by saying this, Kimball Walker was just an all-star just two years ago, which is hard to believe in itself. But as I stated in my previous video, that Kimball Walker signing was just a gamble. 
because it was a major warning sign when you seen OKC give Kimball Walker a buyout, especially with years remaining on his deal. That NBA franchise is very stingy when it comes to money, but I'll link that full video in the description below in which Kimball Walker talked about his injury while being on the Celtics and transitioning on to being into OKC and going through the buyout process and joining the Knicks. But just going back to the current situation, lineups with Kimball Walker this season defensively have only ranked better than two teams in the NBA, and that is OKC and the Houston Rockets. That should tell you everything you need to know right there. And the biggest conundrum Tibbs is facing with this whole benching is that he actually has no room to put Kimball Walker in this overall rotation because he doesn't want to play three small guards off the bench and he's trying to keep that quickly rose combo going because right now that's one of the main contributing pieces that's holding this season together. So now this is where the outside optics start coming into play and begin to reveal of how bad this Kimball Walker situation really is. And we've seen it play out during the Bucks game in which a lot of our players were going through COVID protocols and we've seen Tibbs narrow down the lineup to an eight-man rotation which included Kevin Knox and Grimes getting heavy minutes and still Kemba Walker getting a DMP. Now, one positive I took away from this is that Tibbs has full autonomy over this lineup because keep in mind, Kemba Walker is a Leon Rose signing. So them allowing Tibbs to completely shun him out the lineup, even though half his players are going through protocols, it says a lot. And even though it's still early in the season, so far, two out of the two signings of Leon Rose did not work out for Tibbs because Tibbs does not play Evan Fonier in the fourth quarter of a lot of these games because these teams are running pick and roll and they're picking at Evan. As we've seen players like Ricky Rubio go off, Miles Turner, OG Ananobli, all types of players that don't even normally even shoot the ball. I mean, damn, these guys are taking every single shot. They're looking like Kobe Bryant after Shaq left. Just every shot is for them. But Kimba's DMP versus the Bucks. After all those guys are going through protocols, it is not a good sign, especially with this December 15 trade window opening up for recently signed free agents. It doesn't look like Kimba's going to have a lot of value going forward to even just make a move and at least get something back for him. I hate to see a Bronx native go through this in his own city, but I got to give it up to Kimba. He's held his head high. He still practices hard. And during the games, you could clearly see Kimba Walker is the first guy off the bench cheering guys on and the shit looks genuine especially in that game where Obi Toppin scored his career high Kimball Walker was one of the first guys off the bench man cheering for Obi but we all got nothing but love and respect for Kimball Walker and we hope that Leon Rose can package him somewhere to a veteran team possibly going for a championship where they could better utilize him and in my opinion I personally blame the Boston Celtics for the way they manage players injuries we've seen it play out with Isaiah Thomas the way they treated him the way they allowed him to risk his career. And also Kimball Walker, when the Celtics were in the bubble, it looked like they forced him to come back early and he was never the same since. So there's a history there with the Boston Celtics and you wonder why a lot of top level NBA free agents don't want to go there. But these things will never be mentioned because more than half the NBA media is Boston based or Boston affiliated. So it is what it is. Now going down this roster, we're going to take a look at Mitchell Robinson. As he's entering a season in which he has to begin to sort of separate himself from Jericho Sims, Nerlens Noel, Taj Gibson, as far as reliability and consistency. And so far to start off the season, he has not gotten off to the right start. Injuries have gotten him out of shape 
and now he has to play himself into shape during a contract year while being a second round pick let's keep in mind as a second round pick you have to prove your worth remember alonzo trier even though he was a fan favorite and he gave us a lot of great moments and a lot of oohs and ahs with his crossovers he still has yet to join another nba team so as a second rounder mitchell robinson has to keep in mind he has to prove his value because the nba marketplace right now is high with replacement centers it's not hard to find another one of these guys and this is where mitch is going to have to start separating himself because the marketplace at the same time has very few elite centers look how deandre aiden is still trying to prove his worth to get that max contract so you see mitchell robinson is going to have to start to show his worth especially if he's trying to get that money and keep in mind that this year with the rule changes the rules actually benefit mitchell robinson even if there's a bunch of contact all he has to do is jump vertically and the benefit of the doubt will be given to him so with the rule changes mitchell robinson is getting some assistance so even though there's a bit applied pressure coming from the knicks front office by having nerlens noel there drafting jericho sims having taj gibson there so these new rule changes will benefit Mitchell Robinson the most due to his athletic ability and him being a seven footer. So as of now, I see while Mitch is trying to get back into shape, Tibbs actually has Mitchell Robinson coming off the bench and he's still yet getting at least three fouls in like 20 minutes, which is still not kind of good because once again, all he has to do is just jump vertically. He's going to have to buckle down on them damn fouls and take advantage of the rules and be proactive look at stephen curry he saw the rule changes and now all of a sudden stephen curry's bulked up like a super saiyan it's not a coincidence that he did that he knew that teams were going to be allowed to be more physical with him and he has a finesse game and he's going to have to fight through that so he's proactive in adapting his game according to the rules and that goes from year to year i remember hearing about how steve nash used to break down his game every offseason and kind of rebuild it and a lot of nba players they don't really do this this separates you know the players that are great or just stay in the league for a long time versus other guys and something that mitchell robinson perhaps this offseason seeing that these rule changes happen with the vertical jumping he could have practiced on a lot of small meticulous ways of just getting the proper vertical jump at game speed or just overall technique of how to jump for the blocks so your footing what exactly is the positioning how you should position your back you normally see this type of attention to detail in events like the nfl combine where especially offensive linemen defensive linemen how they position their hands their back a lot of these things matter because it's all about the technique and even the late great kobe bryant talked about how he practiced where to land after a fadeaway it's things like this that can give guys like mitchell robinson a major edge especially due to the fact that he's almost like a bunny rabbit the way he kind of hops even when he gets back to the ground he just instantly hops right back up and if he changed some of his natural god-given abilities to tweak it towards like how the rules are kind of fixed up now he could have a real sick advantage but at the end of the day it's going to be a big year for him he's going to have to focus on his health be consistent and just keep in mind the nba rule changes do benefit centers like him and as a second round pick especially at the center position he's going to have to prove his value now rj barrett has had a rough start to the season and the measuring stick 
for a guy that's been drafted third overall, especially at his age range, is very high. And low-key, it's very difficult for young NBA players like RJ to keep getting used to brand new starters on the team every single season. The Knicks are really going to have to buckle down and get a point guard and a small forward to actually play RJ in his position and to keep some consistency and chemistry carrying over from season to season. And of course, RJ can't control the roster construction, but there are things he definitely can't control. We got to talk about that stretch in November. It was like a 13-game, 10-game stretch where RJ was not playing good at all, and it just wasn't about shots not falling. He wasn't even finishing at the rim at a high level, especially as a third overall pick. I mean, just looking at that month of November, that shit was brutal. I would say from around November 7th to December 4th, RJ was averaging around 10 points per game, shooting about 32% from the field and 22% from three. That shit was brutal. And once again, during that stretch, RJ was getting open looks from three. And at the same time, he wasn't finishing at the cup. But just going back to him missing the open threes, because so far he's had a lot better looks than he did the previous season. But this is where I kind of open things up and I, I kind of look back at different NBA players and different archetypes and just the overall landscape of the league on how a lot of these teams defend. RJ, especially with his build, he may have to go to sort of a mid-range game so he can open things up for other players like Julius Randle on the floor. Now, as we all know, the NBA is called a copycat league for a reason, especially with analytics being introduced and everyone's trying to copy Daryl Morey ball by just shooting up threes or just going for layups, no mid-range. A lot of today's defenses are kind of designed to defend the three-point and try to defend guys trying to attack the hoop. But as we've seen in this current season, especially with the rule changes, we see players like DeMar DeRozan is just killing and it opened things up for other players on the team like Zach Levine and Caruso and other guys on that Chicago Bulls team to start getting off shots. Once again, the reason why this is able to happen is because most of the league is copying each other. So on a pick and roll, most teams either going to allow you to enter within 22 feet and they're going to dare you to take that long two that long Carmelo Anthony type two-pointer that everybody hates. Or if you have a guy that can step in within 18 feet, either from both elbows or just the top of the key, a guy that could somewhat make that shot at least at 40% to 45%, that can start opening the game up where a lot of the defenses now, they're not worried about the three-point shot and just defending the paint. A lot of guards are not comfortable defending the back end of those pick and rolls. So a combination of RJ and Randall in those type of pick and roll scenarios where RJ just kind of has that mid-range game on point would be deadly. Because what happens nowadays is that they'll let you run that pick and roll and they'll dare you to take that 22-foot shot, which is just inside the three-point line. And at the same time, when you run that play within that 22 feet and you start getting around that 18-foot range... Defenders, for some reason, they still drop back because they'll think a player like R.J. Barrett is going to attack the hoop. And that's where R.J. should start developing his mid-range game right there, in which he could start attacking them and getting shots off from the elbow or within that foul line. Because once again, the defender is going to keep dropping back and they're going to want to stop layups or they're going to press forward and stop you from shooting a three-pointer. Most defenses today in the NBA are designed to defend like that. A lot of guys are not really defending the middle of the court. 
And if someone consistently, at least anywhere from 43% to 45% start making shots within that range, that 18 footer from the elbows and from the top of the key, defenders are going to start switching up. That paint is going to free up. And that's where Randall could get more space to attack the hoop. That's why Julius Randall this season, most of his shot attempts don't come from him attacking the rim. It's mostly been from jumpers. And the reason why is because teams are just crowding up the hoop and daring the Knicks to shoot that mid-range, that long mid-range, either from 22 feet or in most games in which they're not even hitting the 18-footers. But going back to RJ, he can thrive in that mid-range game because his body's built for it. I mean, his archetype, he kind of fits that Paul Pierce archetype, except, you know, he's a lot stronger and he's in better shape. But the mid-range game is really underestimated. I mean, you look at the last few NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors, Kawhi ran the mid-range game all the time. The Los Angeles Lakers were not a three-point shooting team. And recently, the Milwaukee Bucks, they're not a three-point shooting team. And Chris Middleton has a very nice and efficient mid-range game. You could even look at guys from the past that had a nice mid-range game that pretty much opened up the floor for their teammates to get shots off. You could look at Steve Nash, Dirk Nowinski, Paul Pierce. The surrounding cast for those star players were always eating and getting buckets. So the mid-range game is definitely not dead. You could look at players today like Kawhi Leonard, CP3, Jokic. Jokic has a mean mid-range game. Best believe that. Especially one of the best players today, Kevin Durant. And just going back to DeMar DeRozan and a lot of the success he's having this season, he gives a lot of credit to the openness and freedom that the mid-range game provides him. Quote, Understanding my angles of getting shots off, off the dribble, going right, going left, off corners, off fadeaways, post-ups, you get more freedom than three-point shooters. And that's one thing the small ball analytical crowd never seems to understand, that that style of play is restrictive. And in the playoffs, you become too predictable. And that predictability is where a lot of these analytically driven teams kind of lose their edge. So in today's copycat league, modern defenses are pretty much set up to defend layups and three-pointers. So there's pretty much almost like a sweet spot in the court that a guy like RJ Barrett could take advantage of, especially running pick and roll with Randall. And if RJ starts knocking down these shots at a consistent pace, it's going to open up a lot for Randall, especially taking that ball to the cup. As now defenders are going to have to start pulling away from the three-point shooters and start having to defend the middle of the court, leaving space for guys like Evan Fonier to start hitting shots. And also, it frees up space in the paint. So now Randall could quickly attack the hoop and not have to worry about that area being crowded because no one is even attempting enough mid-range shots. See, that's another frustrating thing because sometimes we watch these Knicks games and we see that why is our team trying to imitate Golden State? And best believe, a lot of teams in the past few years have died trying to imitate Golden State. That's one thing that never gets talked about. The teams that failed, and that Houston Rockets James Harden team is one of the teams that died trying to imitate Golden State. You can't out Golden State, Golden State. The shit makes no sense. And we've seen in the past few years, there's been a few teams that don't even have the roster to do that, trying to out Golden State, Golden State. That shit makes no fucking sense. That's why we've seen so many blowouts in the past few seasons. But at the end of the day, it's frustrating to sometimes watch this team 
just chuck up a bunch of threes especially in possessions in which we have nothing going there's no chemistry but a three-point shot is what we settle for so it's about time that rj and randall start running some sort of pick and roll mid-range game as once again most of the league is not set up to defend that mid-range and we see it play out clear as day with DeMar DeRozan this season. That shit is not a coincidence. His mid-range game is opening things up for the rest of the Chicago Bulls players. And you see it reflected in their stats as they almost have three guys averaging over 20 points. So this same trickle-down effect could take place with the Knicks if RJ Barrett or even another player, let's say Evan Fonier, runs these pick and rolls, develops a better mid-range game, it could open things up for other guys, especially Julius Randle. As we see it reflected in his shot attempts, my man barely has any shots attempted while taking the ball to the hole. Most of his shots are coming off of jumpers. That should tell you something right there, especially a guy at the power forward position, big and strong like Randle. He has nowhere to go. The lane is too crowded up. We're too predictable. There's no spacing on the floor because... Our mid-range game is almost non-existent. And it's frustrating to see sometimes this team just keeps chucking up a lot of threes, even when they're not falling. We don't have a Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Stephen Curry on our team. So what they do should not be reflected on how we move. And this is where most of the league trying to be a copycat falls straight on their face. Now, earlier I had mentioned RJ Barrett's measuring stick for what success is is very high even at his age and especially due to the fact of his draft position of being selected third overall now why i'm saying this is because in today's nba younger players get into their second contracts faster and their resumes are being built a lot quicker and the ultimate prototype for this is luka Doncic. at just the age of 22 luka already has two all-star appearances under his belt two major playoff series against the clippers and he already signed a rookie max extension once again luca is the ultimate prototype so far of the measuring stick for top nba lottery picks and best believe with rj barry having his rookie extension coming along next season his measure of success is going to be graded against luca and peers alike you could look at trey young he's 23 he has an eastern conference finals appearance and he has an all-star appearance we could take a look at Devin Booker. He's 25. He has multiple all-star appearances under his belt. And he has an NBA Finals appearance. The same thing would apply to players like Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum. Multiple-time all-stars. And they both have multiple seasons in which they have playoff experiences. Which includes getting into the second round. And let's keep in mind, a lot of these guys already signed their extensions for the most money that they can get. So this has become the measuring stick for a lot of young players even before they hit the age of 25. The way that talent's evaluated in today's NBA is that guys that are first year players are considered room for improvement. But guys coming out of college three to four years in are considered peaked out. As we've seen, this was the black marker on Obi Toppin. And it's understandably so, because if you look at his age and the age of Luka Doncic, they're pretty much the same age, but Luka, once again, has four years played in the league and he has two playoff runs against a very difficult Clippers team. So the experience level between both guys, even though they're around the same age, and almost in two different stratospheres. And best believe with RJ's extension coming up, five years, $181 million, he's gonna be eligible for. His feet are gonna be held up to the fire 
to live up to some of these standards here. Remember, Luca is the peak of these standards. He doesn't have to be Luca, but he is gonna have to live up to some of the peers here. We got once again, we got Tatum, Trey Young, Booker, Donovan Mitchell. He's going to have to at least live up to what some of these guys can do here. Because the other side of this coin is the situation as we see it play out with the Indiana Pacers. As they got a few guys here where they're still young enough to hit their prime, but their team pretty much aged them out. As we can see it with Sabonis in Indiana, he's only 25. Miles Turner, 25. Karis LeVert, 27. And I would say TJ Warren, but injuries pretty much phased him out. But with RJ, he's gonna have to be on a trajectory of trending up per year, especially with that extension coming once again, because just looking at the stretch of those 13 to 10 games that he had, just averaging 10 points, shooting, shooting 32% from the field, and 22% from three-point range. You can't just have these types of laps of inconsistency. But because the way talent is evaluated once again, RJ kind of has that, that cushion of just being considered that player that was drafted in his first couple years. It's his room for improvement. But as long as his peers and other players around the same age range achieve higher levels of success, that little cushion is gonna be more narrow and narrow every single year, especially if you look at what Jean Moran is doing. But once again, this is still relatively all new due to the last couple of draft classes that came into the league. They kind of set a new standard of where guys should be at around age 24 or just four years being into the league. But there's no doubt that the standards have definitely increased, especially due to the fact that guys get to their second contracts a lot faster. So No Chill Gil, a.k.a. Gilberinas, had sat down and did a discussion about why do New York fans cheer for opposing opponents? And the conversation kind of stemmed from the Golden State Warriors getting a lot of love at the Barclays Center while they played against the Nets. But he kind of correlated that to the Knicks in his playing days of just playing in that arena and getting a lot of love or what he perceived to be love. Because me, looking from the outside in New York City, appreciates great basketball and they show appreciation of it with oohs and ahs but overwhelmingly cheers i don't think so maybe for great players like kobe bryant or maybe lebron james in his cleveland days because we wanted him to come to new york but i think a lot of the media members and a lot of the players kind of mistake cheers for appreciation but anyway gilbert arenas talked about it you guys check it out, and every once in a while, I'll check in. That's why, that's why every single star loves the garden. They love the garden because it's one of the only places that a star can come and actually get cheers from the opposing crowd. That's what they don't understand. So they be like, yeah, everybody wants to play in the garden. Yes, besides the Knicks. <laughs> Everybody wants to play in the garden. Like, you don't boo nobody. Kobe comes in there. It's just Kobe time. Steph come. They're not going to boo Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's a legend. But notice how Gilbert Arenas had to throw those subtle jabs because you have to understand, Gilbert Arenas, he's a Valley Cali boy, man. And for some reason, a lot of people, especially in Lakerland, they're upset at the fact that the Knicks haven't had that much success, but yet the franchise proceeds to be bigger than their franchise their franchise for the most part is considered to be a nice successful mom and pop franchise 
the Knicks are on a different level as far as being an enterprise versus the Lakers. And we all know the NBA has a completely different feeling when the Knicks are on point versus when the Lakers are. His 15th, you're cheering them. Yeah. So as a player, I'm guarding the guy you're cheering for. How the, what the fuck is this? Like you, you just put a battery in this dude. The dude just hit three threes, and now y'all over here cheering. Of course he's gonna shoot number three and four. Knicks fans, listen to this man. They, that's what I said. they hate, but they hate the reality. But that's the reality. That's not the reality. They're appreciating your great play. And Gilbert Arenas is really talking about from his playing days of when the Knicks were really bad, the Isaiah Thomas years. I believe he played in the mid-2000s. Yeah, Gilbert Arenas was cooking back then, but I don't think he had overwhelmingly fans from New York. They just appreciated the way he was playing, but they weren't fans of you like that. I'm, I'm going to let you get this. That's Come what I'm I'm going to catch the heat, yo, son. Uh-oh. Here comes the L.A. boys with, the, with, with more jabs. Yo, son, yo, son. I'm telling you. Laker fans, which most of their fan base is bandwagon fan base. They'll be fans of the Lakers. Then if the Lakers are bad, they're fans of the Warriors, etc., etc. They're bandwagon fans. And a lot of them are upset that the Knicks haven't had success in a lot of years. But yet they have a real loyal fan base. It's almost like being a Knick is almost like an identity. And they're kind of jealous of that because they understand that a lot of the Laker fan base, they were Kobe fans and... If the Lakers didn't perform up to par, they'll be a fan of another team. That fan base, for the most part, understands that. I played. I know the game plan. The game plan as the visitor. Jump on them early so the crowd... No one cares about the team. We let the, cr that's what, we let the crowd do that. Jump on them early. Once the crowd gets them, we're good. This, is, this was the fourth quarter rule. As long as we're up by 10 or 15, the crowd is out of it. Exactly. You're talking about the mid to early 2000s. Yeah, the Knicks were horrible. Of course, the crowd was, you know, kind of doing oohs and ahs and cheerings because for the most part, the best basketball we got to see was by the opponents around that time. But that's not necessarily the case when the team is good. So once again, <laughs> Gilbert Arenas is mistaken appreciation man for cheers nobody in new york was overwhelmingly a gilbert arenas fan you don't walk around and see a bunch of gilbert jerseys you got to consider these things but once again he's talking about his playing days we don't have to worry about that crowd if the game is close somehow they're going to start cheering and it's going to be hard to beat them if you keep that game close enough to keep the crowd involved so by the time we get to the last five minutes have a 15 point lead so this crowd is out of it they're gonna boo they're gonna then they're gonna be disappointed the energy's gonna shift and we just keep moving along but around that time it was like that every single night the team was losing often and it was year after year after year especially during those isaiah thomas years the crowd is into that game the last four or five minutes it's hard to beat that crew you know what i mean and that was game that's the game plan going to the garden jump on them so the crowd can turn that is a fucking bad game plan for your home crowd. That is horrible. I hope Knicks fans, I hope you're watching this. Take notes. Say not. You think they, 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 they might. They might. You really think they gonna change just because I said it? No. <laughs> Yo, no chill, no chill Gil, man. You know, always going in, especially the Valley boys. They gotta defend their Lakers. We already know the hate is real. We already know that. 
but it is what it is. Once again, this conversation pretty much stemmed from the fact that they were perplexed of why the Golden State Warriors were getting so many oohs and ahs and cheers and appreciation from the New York crowd while the you know KD and James Harden was losing. They didn't understand that, and then they co- kind of correlated it onto Gilbert Arenas' playing days going up against the Knicks. The only good basketball that came through the city was from other teams. So it is what it is. But for the most part, these L.A. boys, they got some sort of animosity of trying to understand why the Knicks fans are so loyal to the team. Like, they actually see a real fan base because Laker fans are not like that. Because those years after Kobe left, those first few years, shits was crickets over there. I mean, Laker fans were quiet. I've never seen Laker fans so quiet. LeBron came back, Laker fans got hype. So it is what it is. Something about the Knicks that get on these L.A. boys' nerves, man. I'm telling you. Now, my fellow Knicks fans, I know this season has been frustrating so far, but the Eastern Conference landscape has changed quite a bit to start off the season. We see a lot of teams either have their head barely above water or other teams are below the water, I should say, a.k.a. at 500, which is kind of ironic because just looking at the landscape here, we got the Hawks even struggling to stay at 500. Same thing for the Raptors and the Boston Celtics, which the Boston Celtics have two all-stars in their team, and they're at 500. But surprisingly, the Washington Wizards this season, with some of the additions that they made after trading Russell Westbrook away, they are actually at 500, which is surprisingly. And the Philadelphia 76ers barely got their head above water. And surprisingly, the Miami Heat, I thought they would be a lot better right now, but the Cavs are actually one of the more surprising teams and the Cavs, believe it or not, they have the combination of Mobley and Jerry Allen. They're killing it right now. And the Cavs may have looked up and came up on a great draft pick on uh, Mobley. So that's kudos to them. But the landscape of the East has definitely changed. As we all know, Chicago Bulls, they're definitely doing their thing. Uh, once again, DeMar DeRozan, he's looking like a completely different player out there. But the landscape definitely has changed. But the season is not quite over yet. I remember last year, the Cavaliers, they had a great start to the season. Obviously, they fell all the way down to the bottom of the barrel of the conference. But the NBA landscape overall is definitely different. We even seen the Lakers have a combination of AD, LeBron, and Westbrook. And they're struggling to keep their heads at 500. So the landscape is definitely different. And just going back to the Eastern Conference, on any given night, a lot of these teams can really take it to you. I mean, we even see the Indiana Pacers announce that they want to rebuild, but they have some talent on their team. But the Easter Conference will be interesting because now with the variant going around, a lot of players are going to begin to be out. So the landscape could shift even more. Like I said, these past couple of years in the NBA has been very unique seasons. Talking about the bubble, the season last year where most teams offensively were breaking records. And now this season is a variant tossed in along with a lot of unusual situations, situation with Kyrie, situation with Ben Simmons. This conference is very different. It's just the landscape is shifting and the Knicks just need to buckle down and focus and understand it's really going to be an 82 game season. This thing is going to be a dogfight to the very end. Hey, the Knicks had a bad start last year and after the Derrick Rose trade, we completely did a 180 and turned our season around. So with the December 15th trade window opening up, more players are going to be eligible to be traded. We'll see if Leon Rose can shake things up 
and actually fill out some things that we're missing on the team. And speaking of trades, we got to be careful of some of the fool's gold that's going to be out there, especially after the December 15th window that's going to open up. A lot of teams will be building the values of certain plays that they no longer want their team, aka, in my opinion, Miles Turner is one of them. The Indiana Pacers, they must be running plays for this guy to be shooting and attempting all them damn three-pointers. Now, for those of you who are watching the video version of this episode, I pulled up a chart right here showing Miles Turner's three-point attempts in the past few seasons. As you can see, he just started shooting three-pointers. And this season, there's a little bit of an uptake. Now, Indiana is out here trying to finesse. They're trying to build up his value so they could just end up selling him off. As we all know, they recently announced that they want to rebuild. But there's going to be a, a couple of guys on the trading market that's going to be in a similar situation where teams are quickly trying to build up their value. They call in plays for them during the games, trying to hype them up so they could just sell them off once that December 15th window opens up. Now, the NBA landscape is always interesting because teams are up and down and you don't know if they're trying to go for a piece to go for a championship or if they're trying to get rid of players just to rebuild. And just looking at the Sacramento Kings, it looks like they have ran into a wall. Now I'm talking about a brick wall. They finally fired Luke Walton, and it looks like a lot of players that they have on their team are probably most likely going to try to get rid of because it's not working at all. And I wouldn't even be surprised if they got rid of De'Aaron Fox and just try to start all over. And this is a point guard that the Knicks should definitely try to look at because we definitely are in the market of a dynamic point guard. I'm not necessarily saying the Kings are going to get rid of De'Aaron Fox, but right now, whatever they have, it does not work. And I'm pretty sure they're going to want to scrap and rebuild. And in situations like this, where the Knicks could definitely try to capitalize, I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be the Kings, but similar situations, because the Kings are not the only team that's facing this scenario. And just staying on the teams that are out West, I want to take a look at the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard as he will be the most talked about player on the trade market and it's for good reason but there's a few unique scenarios that's playing out with Dame right now first of all he's having a horrible season I don't know if the rule changes had a negative effect on him but this season is not it for him and second of all Dame is eligible to extend his supermax contract for two more years this offseason so I'm pretty sure he's gonna want to re-up and I believe up to age 36 get at least 51 52 million dollars on top per year I believe age 35 and 36 so Dame is definitely gonna want to re-up with the Blazers but the only thing with them is that right now with the team that they have they're set up to pay luxury tax and repeater luxury tax on top for the next like four to five years I don't know if they're trying to commit that type of money to a team that's pretty much not even built to go into the second round in the playoffs. That's why I call cap on a lot of what Dame says. He believes in the team's ability to put something together to win. There's no way. They've guaranteed too much money to too many players, and they're going to pay repeater luxury tax on the same level as the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know what the hell Dame sees, but I think he just wants to get paid, and he wants to be the man but he's built this brand on some I'm loyal and I'm grinding. But it is what it is. But right now with the league rule changes, that changed the landscape of that trade market. I'm telling you, guys got to be re-evaluated because with the, with the contact and he's a small guard, we have to reevaluate guys on what they can do with these new rule changes going forward. 
paying guys off of what they did in the past does not make any sense especially for the knicks right now and to my fellow knicks fans i know you guys are gonna hit me for saying this but don't be too shocked if the knicks are trying to package a deal that includes rj barrett because that month of november boy i'm telling you it was bad it was bad and i don't think the knicks with his upcoming extension wants to give a five-year deal worth 181 million dollars to a player that's averaging 17 points going into year four that's gonna be a real hard sell so don't be surprised if the knicks end up packaging him once that december 15th window opens up and more players are eligible to be traded but hopefully he can turn it around because his peers around the same age range that have gotten that rookie max extension their numbers and production reflects that contract number and once again that's why i talked about earlier the measuring stick for rj the tone is set by luca being the pinnacle of that measuring stick followed by guys like trey young jason tatum donovan mitchell devin booker and so on and so on these guys kind of set the tone of who gets the super max rookie extension and remember all this is done by the age of 24 so the standards of how fast a young player should be coming along has pretty much been bumped up by this class of players it is what it is you guys be sure to check out the channel homepage of playlists of other videos pertaining to around the league and just other topics everything is right there on the homepage. until next time you guys stay safe in these runner streets peace